Well, what's up, Grace Family Church? How's everybody doing? Yeah. Hey, let's keep clapping for all of our campuses, Land Lakes, Carrollwood, Temple Terrace, Ybor, of course, here at Luke's, and then South Tampa, where I am the campus pastor. Man, I am excited to be here and excited to kick off this fight series. Come on, anybody else excited about a series called Fights? Yeah. And, and this series, just so you know, this series for us, we, we're going to focus primarily and kind of look a little bit more towards men. So we're going to target this series a little more towards men because we know that there are times where for us as men, we need to be called out, kind of shot at, kind of talked to directly. And this series is going to do that. We're not going to put you down, but we do want to lift you up because we believe that for you as the men who uh, you know call Grace Family Church your home or maybe you're visiting, we believe that God has something for you. He wants to use you in incredible ways. In this series, we're hopefully going to call you up. Now, women, let me just say this. We're, there are still going to be things that you can apply throughout the whole series. In fact, women, you're smart enough. You're good enough. You will pull stuff out of these messages, maybe more than us men. But for us, it's going to be targeted more towards the men throughout this fight series, okay? So we're going to go into it. So I thought that as we kick off this series, I would tell you the story of my worst fist fight ever, okay? I just feel like that's a good way to start. So one day, uh, I'm hanging out with my friends, and we're, we're hanging out. We're actually on the street just kind of talking, and I see a guy running, and he is running, like not in running clothes, but he is running, and he's running, and I look behind him, and there are police officers chasing him, and I think, okay, they're going to try to catch him, but this guy's pretty quick. I don't know if they can, and you know how you have those split-second decisions, like what do you do, and I decide I'm going to help. I don't know why I decided this, but I decided I'm going to help. So I start running after this guy. Now, I was not very fast in this pursuit, but I just kept running. And I think he got a little more tired than me. And finally, I caught him. And I actually tackled him. And if you've ever tackled somebody that you're not wearing pads, it's not the most fun experience in the world. But I tackle this guy, and he is trying to fight back with me. And he's trying to fight back, and I don't know what to do. And we're on the ground, and I'm on top, and I'm trying to fight him. And I'm thinking about what to do. And I, I realize I only have one choice. I have got to knock him out. Okay, only choice. I got to knock him out. And so I pull back, and I pull back, and then I, and then I hit him in his face. And, and it was the weirdest time. I've been in a couple fist fights. It was the weirdest time because he started screaming. As soon as I did it, started screaming. But it wasn't like a manly scream. It was a womanly scream. And when I woke up, <laughs> I realized that I did not punch a man, but I punched my wife in the face <laughs> and gave her a black eye. It was a dream. And in my dream, I legit caught her on the side of her eye. That was my worst fist fight I've ever been in. <laughs> worst fist fight I've ever been in. And, and, we, and, and we did that, and part of the reason why um, we did that, we had watched an action movie. Like anybody else, when you watch an action movie, like you're ready to fight. Like I hope you try me in the first eight minutes after I walk out of a movie theater watching an action movie. I hope you try me, because I am never a better fighter or confident about my fighting skills than when I walk, like when I walk to the bathroom in a movie theater, I'm like, oh, I hope you do. I hope you do. By the time I get in my car, I'm not so sure I want you to. But when I'm walking out of the movie theater, I feel so confident in my fighting ability uh, to be able to do that. So I watched this action movie, and, 
Yeah, I watched this action movie. I get it. So, 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 and after the movie, I, that's when I hit her. And so, for the next like literally six weeks, we like it, we would not watch an action movie at night. She said, "No way." I remember sleeping on my hands, like, "Lord, please don't do it. That's not good. That is not really good." But. So that's the worst fist fight <laughs> that I've ever gotten into. That's a fun story. So anyway, so 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 for me, uh, you know, as as we are jumping into this fight series, talking about fighting, I know that I was thinking about this. I thought, you know, it's kind of interesting that we're going to do a series about fighting because in church, typically, you don't talk a lot about fighting, and especially for us as men. You know, some of those things that are typical when it comes to men, that fist fighting, rough housing, the aggression that comes along with being a man, it seems like sometimes when you walk into church, those sort of things you need to kind of push in the back of your mind or push in the back of your personality. And fighting is not typically a part of church. And, and when you think about Jesus, honestly, most of us don't think of Jesus as a fighter. We don't think of him as aggressive. In fact, I actually came up with a picture. I actually Googled Jesus and I looked at the images. When you do this, it's amazing because here's the image that I came up with when I actually Googled Jesus. It is Jesus literally cuddling with the sheep. Now, I heard some of you say all, and you are all women, okay? That was all women. Because for us guys, this is one of the least masculine versions Okay, it's one of the least mad because for us, when we look at this picture, we don't think, oh, we're like, eh. But a lot of times in church, and I think over the years as Christianity has come along, Jesus has been sold as so much more docile and less masculine than what he was. Because when you read the story of Jesus, Jesus was incredible, like he was incredibly courageous he was incredibly aggressive. He actually took on the religious leaders of the day and would stand up to them when nobody else would, would call them out when no one else would. And he was very masculine in that way. In fact, when you actually think of what Jesus did, when Jesus came onto the earth, it was like a military operation that Jesus came down to earth because you and I, we were hostages. We were hostages and the wages of sin is death and we were a slave to sin. And there is no way to get out of our sin except that Jesus came in on a rescue mission as a hostage exchange. He came to die for you and as a hostage exchange at any moment, he could have said enough, but he chose not to. He chose to endure torture. In fact, there's a time early on in Jesus's life and early in his ministry where Satan actually set up a meeting with Jesus and he met with Jesus and he said, hey, I'll give you anything if you just stop your mission. But Jesus said, no because you were too important. He allowed himself to be tortured and killed so that you could be rescued. Jesus is incredibly masculine, but for a lot of us, when you think about it and you think about Jesus and the picture that we've seen and the image that we have, that can be a little bit tough. So this weekend, what I want us to do is we jump into this fight series. I actually want to give you literally a different picture of who Jesus is and I hope for us as men, my hope for you as men, is you begin to see Jesus a little bit different and you begin to see yourself a little bit different as his follower. Not that we have to push the masculinity aside or pull that away, but we'll actually begin to step into who he's called us to be, not just as Christ followers, but as men who are Christ followers. So in order to do that, what we're gonna do is we're gonna jump to the book of Revelation. In the book of Revelation, chapter one, it's one of those books that a lot of us, we don't read a lot, but it shows an image of who Jesus is that I believe is a little more relatable to maybe what we've seen in the past. So Revelation chapter one, 
It says, it was the Lord's day, and this is, this is the Apostle John. When the guy who wrote the book of John, this is who's writing this. I was, it was the Lord's day, and I was worshiping in the spirit. And suddenly, I heard behind me, behind me a loud voice like a trumpet blast, and it said, write in a book everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And when I turned to see who was speaking to me, because he hears his voice and decides he's gonna turn around, he said, I saw seven gold lampstands and standing in the middle of the lampstand was someone like the son of man. He was wearing a log robe and a gold sash across his chest. He says, like the son of man. Now, one of the phrases they would use to describe Jesus as the Messiah was son of man. And what John's saying here is he was like the son of man. In other words, John was saying, I could tell it was Jesus, but like there were some differences. I could tell that it was Jesus, but I knew there were some things that were a little bit off. And then he goes on to describe what he saw. He described the differences about Jesus. He said the hair on his head were, light, were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. And in his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in all its brilliance. We saw this picture of Jesus with the lambs, but this is the picture. I actually Googled Revelation chapter one, Jesus, and this is the picture that came up. Okay, all week I've been referring to him as Marvel Jesus because he like looks like a Marvel character. But, but this, is, this was an artist's attempt to try to draw out what he was seeing. And if you, you Google it, you'll actually see this image. And this was John going, hey, this is not a passive, docile, laid back Jesus. This is a warrior Jesus. And he points out five areas in Jesus's life where he was different than what he had seen before. So this weekend, what we're gonna do is for us as men, we're gonna look at those five areas that John describes that's different about Jesus. And my hope for us this weekend is that we'll take those five things and we'll begin to allow those to challenge us to step up and become the men and the followers of Christ that we need to be. So let me encourage you to do this, men, because I know for a lot of guys, we come, we listen, and we think we can hear and just, just kind of take it in. Uh, let me so strongly encourage you to pull out your phone, get a pen, get a piece of paper, and take notes. The reason why is you're not gonna be able to get all five, but I believe that God is gonna push you on one or two and say, hey, this is your area, this is your time, this is your moment. And men, we need you to lean in. At all of our campuses, we need you to lean in. The reason why is we need you. We need you to step up from wherever you are. And I don't know if there's an area of your life where you've leaned back or you've gotten apathetic or you've not pushed in. We need whatever that area is for you to shake up. And I believe God's gonna use one of these five things or maybe two of these five things to call you to step up and to become the man that God has called you to be. So we're gonna look at these five areas. The first one is about his head. In verse 14, it says, his head and his hair were white like wool, as white as snow. It was his head. Well, whenever they talk about the head, this is all about what we think about. The first thing is what we think about. Um, and, and it's all about their mind. And for him being white, it was all about purity in the way that they thought. And for us as guys, we need to continually think through and work through what we think about. Uh, a few, uh, probably a couple years now uh, ago, my wife's cousins came to visit us. 
And they came to visit and they stayed with us and they had a great time. And right before they left, as a thank you, they gave us a Burns gift card. Everybody, everybody in Tampa, if you're online, you may not know this, but Burns is like an incredible restaurant down in South Tampa. Everybody likes Burns. It's a great place to go. They gave us a Burns gift card. And I think at that point, we had never been. So we're like, this is a great excuse for us to go. So of course we made a reservation, we decided we're gonna go. And then when it was the time for us to go, we looked for the gift card and it was gone. Like we lost it. And, and for us, we don't lose stuff, but we lost it. And my wife, if you know my wife, she's the most organized person you know, we don't lose stuff, but we lost it. And we canceled the reservation because we lost the gift card. And you know what we did for the next week or two? We looked for the Burns gift card. And anytime we would go out to eat anywhere else, you know what we talk about? The Burns gift card. And we eventually decided after a few months, hey, we don't have the gift card, let's set a reservation, which is like six months down the road because that's just the way that it is. So we set another reservation, we went to Burns. You know what we talked about when we went to Burns? The Burns gift card. Okay, and, and I'm not saying it wasn't a great experience, it was a great experience, but there's a moment of we were focused on the wrong thing because all we could focus is on the gift card. And for guys, what we tend to focus on in our lives is we, we wanna be successful, we want to win, and what we focus on in order to be successful, we focus on how much money we make, uh, the car we drive, the house we're at, and, and not only that, we also focus on the other person. We focus on our neighbor, or a friend, or a coworker, and what are they driving? And what Instagram vacation are they on? And listen, the, the quickest way to kill your peace is to compare. Quickest way to kill your peace is to compare. The quickest way to kill your joy is to compare. Where we focus will determine our peace. And for us as guys, sometimes we can focus so much on what we don't have, we don't actually take the time to talk about what we do. And sometimes we're so focused on what we need to do next that we won't even sit and enjoy because we wanna make more money in the next car and the next house and the next, next, next. It is an appetite that always says more. And at some point, guys, we have to decide we're not gonna just keep trying to get more. We have to focus on where we are. And for me, one of the ways, a verse that has helped me with this is actually, it's, it's in uh, the book of Colossians chapter three. It says, since then you have been raised with Christ. Like in other words, since you are a follower of Jesus, one of the ways for you to live is to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Then he says, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He says, set your heart on things above and set your mind on things above. In other words, the things that you care about and the things you think about, it's so easy to look on what you don't have. It's so easy to look on the worldly things. It's so easy to focus on all of these things. And what Paul's saying is, but as Christ followers, we change our focus and we focus on God. We don't just look on what we don't have and what they have and I wish I had and I wish, no, 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 no. He is our provider. You don't like your job? He's the provider of the job. You don't like your boss? He puts your boss there. You don't like your coworkers? Guess who put them there? Guess who can change them? Guess who can do all that? And you can complain all day about what you don't have, but God is the provider. And so for us, when you're in that season of you just don't like it and you're not doing okay, man, we just gotta change our focus. Because if we don't, we focus on all these things that are happening around us, it will steal our 
peace. And it doesn't matter what's happening in the political realm. It doesn't matter what's happening with everything going on in our world. It doesn't matter what's happening with your neighbors, with your friends, with your family. Listen, it will steal your peace if you focus on it. The way to peace is to change our focus. So my question for you guys, here's the question. Do you have peace right now? Would you say that you are living a life of peace? And I would challenge you that if you feel like you're not, then you got to change your focus. Then, then he goes on in verse 14. He says, and his eyes were like flames of fire, which I love this image of flames. Like he didn't just put flames of fire. Like there are flames flowing out of his eyes. Like I love that image. Um, and the second thing for us to, to work on is what we see, what we see. And this is the big one. Because men, we are so flippant about what we look at. We think that we can look at porn and it doesn't affect anybody. I'm not, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just hurt, I, it's just me. And it, you know, statistically, 40 million adults regularly look at porn. And we think it's okay, it's no big deal. But here's what porn does, and there are so many studies that are coming out now that porn has an effect on you that you don't even understand, but porn makes, makes strong men weak because it gives you the, the sense of control, but you have no control. It gives you the sense that you're satisfied, but you actually become more dissatisfied. It gives you a fantasy of what could be and what should be, what will never be. It's a fantasy. And what it does is it begins to mess up your marriage. And you think you can do it in secret. It's not going to hurt your marriage. You know, pornography use statistically increases marital infidelity by 300%. You are 300% more likely to have an affair if you regularly look at porn. It is tearing apart families and it is tearing down men and it is making strong men weak. And we can't just be flipping of, oh, it's no big deal, it's not happening. In fact, there's a time where Paul says, every other sin you do is outside of your body, but sexual sin, it, it hits you deep. It tears you apart from the inside. And guys, we can't live that way. We have to look at or focus on what we see and we have got to step up. We can't allow things to tear us down internally. In Matthew chapter six, it says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? What he's saying here, essentially the principle is, you let things in by what you see. And when you look at porn on a regular basis, when you look at things you shouldn't look at on a regular basis, you are letting darkness in and that darkness will grow over time and it will eat you up. And as a pastor, I have seen this dozens of times. And there are other people in this room and they've seen it happen in their life and their family's life. And I would encourage you to at least for a season to lean back and zoom out and ask yourself the question, okay, how could I step away from this? How do I actually get away from it? I said for a season, not for a season, for always. To step away from it, it is bringing darkness. And, and when I say that, and if you say, oh, Mike, I've tried to stop, I can't stop. Let me, let me say one thing. Romans chapter six, verse 14, it says, sin shall, for sin shall no longer be your master. 
because you are under the law, but under grace. If you feel stuck, there is no reason why you should be stuck because now as a follower and a son of God, he has set you free and there are systems that you need in your life to help you get more free. We've got counselors, we've got freedom, we've got Celebrate Recovery at Atlanta Lakes, we've got recovery at other campuses, we have courageous men. You gotta go to courageous, you gotta be in a group because we are here to help you get free. And if you feel stuck, there is freedom for you. You do not have to live your life in bondage. God wants you to be free. God wants you to be free and he wants you to be more focused on what you look at so that you're looking at things that are bringing life and light into your life and not darkness. Then he goes on, he says, his feet were like polished bronze refined in a furnace and his voice thundered like mighty ocean waves. Uh, His feet were like polished bronze. This is where we go. The third thing is where we go. Now, for me, when when I became a Christian, you know, one of the interesting dynamics when you become a Christian is you become a Christian and you start to follow Jesus and you try to figure out like, okay, where do I go now and what do I do and who do I hang out with? And for me, I've always wrestled with that a little bit. I've always wrestled with, I'm a Christian, but I'm not gonna completely isolate from non-Christians. I don't think that's a great thing. I think you've gotta be around the world. I think we're supposed to be a light into the world. And so I remember when I first got saved, I started, I kept hanging out with my friends. Now, before I was saved, we partied, we did did all kinds of stuff. Everything you could think of, we did those things. So I would still go to parties. And I would go into parties, and I remember going, going, I'm gonna be the light, I'm gonna be the light. And after about an hour, I don't want to be the light anymore. I wanted to be the darkness. And I remember I got to a place in my life where I had to decide, I don't think I can be here anymore. But you know what I did? And this is, this is my filter because guys, environments have an effect on us. And there are certain environments that, that, that can overtake you. So what I had to do is I had to be very aware. I would go into those environments and say, okay, there are some things that I'm not, I'm not gonna drink socially. I'm not gonna do any of those things. I'm gonna walk in these environments and as soon as I feel like the environment is influencing me and I'm no longer influencing the environment, I'm out. So as soon as I started to wanna drink or wanted to do drugs or wanted to do, as soon as I started to feel that, I left. And guys, for the environments we're around, the question that, We have to ask is, am I influencing the environment or am I being influenced by it? What are you doing? How are the environments? Is there anywhere in your world you need to stop going? You keep telling yourself you're okay, but you keep not being okay. You can tell yourself you can keep being around, but you can't be around. You can tell yourself that you can keep that app on your phone, you shouldn't keep that app on your phone. Like what are the things that you're talking yourself into and talking other people into trying to convince them you're okay? I would encourage you, man, this is the moment. This is the, this is the weekend. And I would say this, don't push back this feeling. If you feel like God's bringing something up to you, don't push back this feeling. Lean into this feeling right now and allow God to bring these things up because he wants to help you. He wants to help you grow, but he wants to help you break free and break through this weekend. And then he said, he held seven stars in his right hand. The fourth thing is what we do. Now, the reason why I, what we do is so big is because he held, Jesus held them in his hand and hands have to do with work. This has to do with, with, with our workplace uh, and the way we do work. And for Jesus, it's interesting because he held seven stars. Now, these seven stars were essentially the seven messengers to the seven churches. And when I read this, I thought, you know, it's interesting because the way we use our hands, the way we do our work, it also sends a message to the world. The way you work and the way you are at work sends a message to people about who you are. 
And it sends a message to people about what you believe. And it sends a message as to what you believe about Jesus. And guys, one of the best things we can do, one of the best witnesses we can have as we go to work every day, and I love this quote by Pastor Craig, and I, I, just, I, I think it works so well. He says, show up on time with a good attitude and do your best. Hey guys, how are you doing at showing up? Like emotionally showing up, not just coming and clocking in and not really being there. How are you doing at showing up on time with a good attitude? How's your attitude? If I were to sit down with your employees, the people who work for you, or maybe your boss or your coworkers, and if I were to ask them, hey, tell me about their attitude. Like, what would they say? Uh, are you doing your best? Are you working your tail off? Are you doing whatever you can knowing that how you act and how you work actually reflects Jesus? In Colossians, Paul says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. And this is the key point here, this next sentence. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Because for a lot of you, when you talk about work, like guys, we gotta go work hard and have a good attitude. You know what happens? <laughs> Everyone goes, but Mike, you don't know my job. You don't know my boss. If you knew my boss, you wouldn't tell me to have a good attitude. You'd tell me to fight him like you did your wife earlier. <laughs> like, like you wouldn't tell me to do those things. But listen, it's not your boss you're serving. It's Christ you're serving. And when people look at you, they're determining what they believe about Jesus. Listen, if I were to sit down and have a conversation with the people you work with, are they more open to the gospel because you're there or not? And if not, I would encourage you, show up on time with a good attitude and you work your tail off so when people go, why are you working so hard? No one else works as hard as you. You can go, you know why? Because I'm not serving you and I'm not serving them and I'm not serving the corporation. I'm serving Jesus. And men, we need leaders like you. We need leaders like you in the workplace and the business place who will lead that way and work that way because when people start asking those questions, listen, the business community is a community that, that there is so much room for harvest, but we gotta live different. If we live like ever, everyone else, no one's gonna, like there's no validity to what you say and what you believe. You have to choose to live differently. We have to choose to live differently because God has called us to be men that does not go with the status quo and does not go with culture. But we stand up and we have courage because God has made you with courage. He has made you with a fight. And that's what God's calling us to. And then the fifth thing, what we say. It's what we say. And, and this has to do with, and, and I love this because in this image, you can kind of see it. There's a sword coming out of his mouth. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is interesting, but he talks about a two-edged sword that's coming out of Jesus's mouth. That's, that's what he's, he says. The two-edged sword is a representation of the word of God. It's actually the word of God. Um, because for me, as I, as I read this and talked about that, you know, I, I've kind of wrestled with this point because for me, I wanna get up and say, guys, the power of your words, I believe in that. I believe that your kids' futures are shaped by what you say. I believe that you have so much power. There's the power of life and death in your words. But what's coming out of Jesus' mouth is not just encouragement. It's the word of God. Hebrews says that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. And I believe one of the biggest tactics of the enemy to get you off track and to get your kids off track is to get you to begin to believe lies. And I believe he's gonna feed you lies about who you are. He's gonna feed your kids lies about who they are. 
And you know the best way to combat a lie? It's with truth. And, and not just truth, but the word of God. And I believe that when a lie comes up that you begin to believe and you begin to speak the word of God over it, it is like a two-edged sword that that thing that tries to attach to you will be cut off of you. And that thing that it tries to attach to your children, an identity issue that they have when they're older, when it attaches to them and you see it when they're young, don't just speak the truth, speak the word of God over them and allow the two-edged sword to cut it off. But guys, if that's gonna happen, we have got to know the word of God. We have got to be able to get that two-edged sword in us so that it can flow out of us. It's gotta come into our eyes, it's gonna come out of our mouth. And I believe that one of the tools that the God will use in your life is that he will bring up scriptures because you've read them, scriptures because you've memorized them, and you'll be in scenarios where you feel like, hey, I feel like I'm in attack right now. The word of God, the sword of the spirit is gonna come up and come out of you in those moments. So men, let me ask you this. How, how are you doing at getting into the word of God? How are you doing at getting the sword sharpened? It's gotta fit in our daily priorities. I'm not saying you read the, read the Bible more than you watch TV or more than you check out your phone, but you gotta do it daily. It's gotta be in you. When, when can you fit it into your schedule? It's gotta be in you. So John shows us a picture of Jesus with the way we think, with what we see, what we say, how we work and where we go. What's the one or two things for you that God is bringing up for you this weekend that you, be, you can begin to apply and you can begin to change this week? And I want you to think about that because we're gonna close today a little different. We're gonna close with communion. And the reason why I wanna close with communion is because communion, when Jesus did it with his disciples, it's the last supper. And at all the campuses, if you don't have communion, just lift your hand, the ushers will come by and they'll get you one. But when they did communion, this was the last supper. This was the last time the disciples were gonna be around Jesus. <laughs> and the disciples would always look back on this moment. They would look back on this moment when they were scared. They would look back on this moment when they needed courage. They would look back on this moment when they wanted to drift back into where life was. And they would draw on this moment. And I believe this weekend across all of our campuses, this can be your moment. This can be your moment when you begin to change your life. And so pull out that top layer and there's a wafer there. And Jesus, when he's doing communion, he's saying, this is my body broken for you for the remission of sins. In other words, this is a representation of what Christ did for you on the cross and your sin, your past is gone. And if you walked in this weekend going, yeah, Mike, you don't know my story. I don't know that I, like, it's gone. He has paid for your sin. So what I want us to do is, I don't want us to just take the wafer. I want, this is a little old school. I used to do this at uh, the church I got saved in. We used to break the bread. So come on, on the count of three, all of our campuses, we're gonna break this together. One, two, three. That sound right there. I hope that you remember this sound and allow God to minister. And look, come on, let's take it together. And that next layer, this is juice. And this juice represents the blood of Christ. And he says that this is the blood of the new covenant. In other words, the past is dealt with. Now this, this is a commitment going forward. 
This is the commitment that things will be different now. Men, we need, come on. This is the commitment that tomorrow is gonna be different than last Monday. Like, like it's gonna be different. This week is gonna be different. I'm making change. I'm not just talking about it anymore. This is it right now. So take a minute, I'm gonna pray. And as I pray, I want you to pray. I want you to pray like a prayer of commitment. And Father, right now, we ask that you would help. Whatever that is, maybe it's our thought life. Maybe it's the things we're looking at. Maybe it's the way we're working. Maybe it's what's coming out of our mouth and the word of God in us. Maybe it's where we're going. But God, we need to make change. And we've been thinking about it and you've convicted us and we've kind of ignored it. But God, we want this weekend to be different. Help us be different. Help us be the men you've called us to be. Help me to walk boldly in that, Jesus. And so we thank you for the blood. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for dealing with our past and sending us into a future more than we can imagine. Come on, let's take this together. And God, let this set in our heart that we would continue to be followers of you that walk in who you have called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Hey, I'm gonna invite all of our campus pastors across every campus to come on up and close the service.